Hello and welcome to the Uninformed Handball Hour, coming to you from the great city of Boston, the great state of Massachusetts, the great country of the United States of America. Oh God, Alex, no, <laughs> Jesus Christ, already, already pandering to your, your new home. Oh well, I know that I'd yeah, see the yeah. day, but uh, yeah, Alex, you've given up one handball hotbed, Denmark for Boston. <laughs> well, I think I've learned anything that I needed to learn from my years in Denmark. Yeah. You know, I've, uh, I've I've been through the masters. I've been through the PhD of handball over my time there. Now, it's, now you're a visiting lecturer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm going into the depths to research the the little known areas of the handball world. Nice. But yes, the move went well, and the handball went well this week which <laughs> sure i'm not is. gonna lie i'm not gonna lie it was a little bit difficult for me to catch up on i did watch the allborg gay match from the lounge in reykjavik airport mm. that i caught up on the non pots game so i'm gonna ask you some questions chris and hopefully you're a bit more knowledgeable <laughs> than i am all right <laughs> let's see but we have to i, I suppose we have to yeah start with uh, the non-piece of plots game. Yeah. How about we just run through the results of the playoff round in the men's uh, Champions League. So uh, in the second leg, we saw Dinamo Bucharesti beat Kiel in the second leg in Kiel, but still lose the tie by 12 goals. Yeah. So Kiel go through uh, and they will play PSG. Uh, in that quarterfinal, classic. which is a very, very tasty matchup mm. and a classic one for sure. Uh, Zeget put in a brave performance, I think. Would you say, Chris, that the fans will show up for the rest of the season after that performance? Yes, I think so. I think uh, that was that was a lot better, I would say. It's probably, it probably proves the fact that uh, they were never going to get through, even if they didn't have a disaster in the first game. But yeah, much improved overall. Uh, bit of a topsy-turvy game as well. It seemed like they were going to win for a bunch of times and then just collapsed a few times. But all in all, didn't really matter that game, did it? Yeah, it, it didn't at all, really. Uh, Veshram ended up winning that. I will say that just quickly, leg. I, even though uh, Dinamo Bucharesti also were in the same situation where they were never going to win, they really, they really celebrated that victory over Kiel, which is quite funny. And the Kiel fans were not happy with that loss, uh, which <laughs> it is it, that is kind of funny. It's like your team has gone through by a twelve goals on aggregate, but they still got pretty pissed that they lost at home against Cinema Bucharesti. It's a classic Kiel result in the Champions League. It's just up and down Kiel, care one week, don't care the next. Uh, but kind of more than that, it's not necessarily just caring and not caring, but it's like. Not caring and then being terrible or caring and being fantastic. It's just the range is so dramatic as always. But 
Um, Veshprem through uh, against Bixegat. In the end, an 18-goal uh, difference in the tie, which is a lot, I would say. Um, Veshprem will go on to play Kielsa in the second quarterfinal. Very nice. Another tasty, tasty match. Uh, probably my pick uh, of the four. Um, then the the tie of the playoffs was Visa Plotsk versus Nantes, where the two teams could not be separated. In the end, Visa Plotsk winning on penalties, and we will dive into that game in a lot more detail. Um, Visa Plotsk will go on to play Magdeburg. Uh, fantastic story for Plotsk. And the last tie, of course, was uh, Geoge versus Alborg. We'll dive into this one a little bit as well. Geoge going through to the quarterfinal, which is pretty impressive for this team of Danish youngsters, um, or should I say Scandinavian youngsters. They have a few few Swedes in there. Um, and they will play Barca, which I think is going to be an absolute hoot of a game. <laughs> it's going to be really, really fun. 70 goals every uh, game. <laughs> Before we move on, I've got some exciting news for our Patreon members. Thank you to everyone who's stuck with us since the World Championship and everyone who signed up in the last couple of weeks. Thanks to Patreon, we've been able to increase our podcast output from every two weeks to pretty much every week, and probably a lot more moving into the business end of the handball season. But the exciting news is that we're going to have a live show. Well, kind of a live show. It's going to be a live Zoom show on the 23rd of April, Sunday at 8 p.m., We're going to have some amazing guests coming on, which we'll announce over the next couple of weeks. And to attend that show, you have to be a Patreon member. So sign up today. What are you waiting for? You can sign up to the Empty Net Club for as little as $3 a month or pay whatever you want. We'll be announcing the guests. It's going to be a lot of fun. Chris is excited. I'm excited. Brian's not here. He's the most excited. So join today and join us in our great little handball community. Let's start with uh, Plotsk versus Nantes because that was really the the tie of the round. Uh, 32-32 in the first leg in Poland and then Nantes um, had a full arena. They had a beautiful TIFO out again. The fans were in good swing but Plotsk ended up winning the tie uh, 30-29. Well, I suppose it went to penalties at 25-25, uh, went to penalties, and Nantes were the only team to actually miss a penalty. That was Odriozola um, missing the third penalty. Visa Plotsk, perfect from the line, and ending the tie 30-29. But Nantes were up 14-11 and halftime. Amrik Mean was having an absolute storm yeah. of a game. Everything looked great. What happened? That's the problem. Nantes are not supposed to have everything go great for them in a game like this. This is the first time Nantes in years have been in this situation. If you think about the times they've gotten to the Final Four or made an impact in Europe, it's always they play a tight-ass first leg at home in which they're losing against the better opposition and then... They turn things around late in the first half and then the whole crowd gets behind them and they ground out a, a dodgy result in the first leg, then manage to 
pull off some heroics in the second leg away from home. Did it against Kjeldsen in the past. Did it against Vesprem. This is a very different situation. They were favourites. Second leg at home. Leading by five goals at various points, right? In that uh, in that first half. Amrik Mean, as you said, was in incredible form. He scored five goals in a row at the beginning. From 3-2, he took the score up to 8-4. Five goals in a row for them. And... Uh, yeah, I think they just, uh, it's the equivalent to scoring too early in football. I think that's what happened to Nantes here. They blew their load. But also, just Plotsk threw it away as well. <laughs> well, yes, they did. All. <laughs> that's going right down to the end of the game. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry to skip ahead here, but uh, <laughs> it was just a r- remarkable ending. Plotsk just again turned around that uh, five goal deficit, which you mentioned very quickly, and the three goal deficit at half time. They turned around very quickly, and then it was just neck and neck uh, for most of the second half. Yeah. Uh, and it was twenty three twenty three on the twenty seventh minute, and. Plotsk scored some nice goals. Uh, Kosorato with a goal. And they went up 25-23. And I'm just trying to get the exact timestamp of this. But they were up 25-23 on 29 minutes, 17 seconds. And then it somehow ended up as a draw. (laughs) Which is remarkable. Well, yeah. uh, Nanda scored... Pretty much straight away. I think like second, six seconds after conceding, uh, Carl Diodorizola cut it back to one goal. And uh, then, yeah, it was a turnover. And uh, Cavalcanti, Alexandra Cavalcanti, sending it to penalties uh, with the equalizer, I think with 12 seconds left on the clock. Why the hell did Visa Plotsk take out their goalkeeper and play seven on six, being one goal up with 20 seconds left. There's only one man you could probably ask for that explanation, and that is Javi Sabate. Uh, and I would like to ask him that question, <laughs> and hopefully at some point, like, ask him why, because it's a very good question. I just need to go, I need, want to have a look back at this moment as well in real time, and maybe we can uh, invite the audience as well. Uh, to watch along as we we see the end of this game. So we'll head over to the highlights, right, on the the Home of Handball uh, channel, the YouTube channel, and find Nantes against Vizapotsk. And where are we going here now? Just before the penalties. Okay. So, actually, it was a little bit before. So they they went 25-23 up at 59 minutes and 8 seconds, right? And then, yeah, equalized straight away. 1-2 there, nice ball from Brie and uh, Odorizola cuts the deficit. But yeah, you're right, then there's, there's 40 seconds left on the clock here, going 7v6, and it is one of the softest turnovers I think I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it's a real... Not not soft in the referee's decision, probably the right decision for the referee to make, but uh, Thomas Piroch probably aged about three years after that happened. 
I'd say like <laughs> there was not one man more relieved in all of the arena than Thomas Pirock, um, who managed to turn that over with a really bad, uh, a really soft uh, attacker foul. Great work by Theo Monar. And yeah, an empty net to shoot into for Cavalcanti. <sighs> yeah, I don't know why you would play 7v6 in that situation. All you're looking for is a couple of, you know, normal fouls. Um, and I'm just looking over at the winger as well. He's all alone on the right wing, just waiting for the ball. Uh, but hey, if they had lost, this, this would be a much, much worse situation, but it wasn't the case. It went to penalties. And uh, I think it's the first time, uh, first time ever, right, since the new rules have come in for a knockout game in uh, European Club Humble where away goals have been taken out of the equation. Uh, if this were the old rules, Nantes would have gone through on away goals, but not the case. And I think that's a primarily a right thing because away goals, when you're scoring, you know, 130 goals over the, over two games is quite ludicrous, uh, but not the case. And it went straight to penalties. Uh, what do you make of... You know, that change in the concept. I'm a fan. I love it. I, I absolutely love it. Uh, away goals don't make any sense. Too many goals for that to apply. They've taken away away goals in football as well. So that's, you know, the away goals is, is dying. Uh, probably should have died quicker for handball. The, my only question is, yeah, so then the, the question becomes, you know, do you do extra time? And in in some ways, like the, the home team in the second leg gets quite a big advantage if extra time is being played because you get, um, yeah, yeah, the extra home minutes. But is it really that much advantage if we're talking about games which both finish on an equal score? Yeah, I mean, you might even argue that in this case where... The reason why the Nantes in this case are playing at home is because they they had a higher seeding because they finished third in the group. Pots didn't, so maybe it's a it's a, an earned advantage to have in that situation. Um, so maybe, but handball extra time is something we've discussed a lot recently, <laughs> particularly the World Championship. I think we can all agree we don't need two periods of extra time. Um, where whether we need one period in this case, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of happy it went to penalty straight away, um, and that Potts managed to get through. As you said, it was really dramatic. Only one miss, and that was in the second round of penalties. Uh, poor Caldi, Odriozola denied by Ignacio Biosca, a new name on the uh, Spanish goalkeeper map, <laughs> and uh, joined joined from Cadet and Schaffhausen. So that was the. So they must have done a direct switch, right? With Bioska joining the club from Schaffhausen and Christian Pilipovic going from Płock back to Schaffhausen, uh, where he's also he's been a hero since going there. So it seems like it was a, a transfer or a swap that suited absolutely everyone in the end, because uh, yeah, he managed eleven saves and uh, and saved the day for them. But like, what a what a great set of penalties as well from Płock. And just looking at the guys who took the penalties to uh, to send them through, it's uh, yeah, you understand why in the end, you know that they had the nerve. Tin Lutzin, 
We know Brian Campion's favorite. He was going always going to score. Kosorotov, Mindegia. I mean, there was no way he was going to miss that penalty. Uh, Daszczak and Krajewski, like Poland's two best wingers, so two of the be- Poland's best three wingers, uh, finishing off the job. Like, what more can you want? Who knew? They may not seem great on paper, but when it comes to penalty taking, they've got a great bunch of lads. <laughs> they do. Uh, yeah. I think, now that I think about it, I think extra time should should be played. That's that's my thought. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I, the, the additional point that you mentioned that the higher seed gets the second yeah. leg at home. You Like, that is, yes, the higher seed should get some advantage. And that is the extra extra period if you need it at home. Because I think ultimately, um, you know, momentum carries into uh, extra time and I probably would have probably would have been not to, to go through. Based on um, that last minute of play, yeah. <laughs> You'd think they would on take that last that on, minute yeah. of play. Yeah. But it's it's you know it's a good challenge. It's kind of I, I like this kind of chaos that happens at the end of the game, then you get a chance to really reset a little bit. And then another chance for chaos kind of towards the end of extra time. Um, I, I think it's a good way to decide it. So probably having that extra time for me uh, would have been the way to go. But now I'm just going to bring up my hot take. I'm going to bring it up right All now. Right. Let's do it. It should be three legs, best of three. And there's no extra time. There's no aggregate score there's no away goals there's just you win your game and then you go through all right so what happens if you don't win your g- yeah what happens if uh when when those games go to a draw extra time or penalties extra time okay <laughs> fair enough <laughs> okay I'll, I'll be consistent yes i'll be consistent this set of playoff games has been the strongest evidence for that i think that we've ever had um when you think about the two games uh, where Kiel and Vesperm have gone through, they were both done before they started. If it was best out of three, and you know, Kiel have a bad day like they did, Dinamo pop up and get a one-goal victory, then you're going to game three. Uh, Seged might have actually had a chance to, off that game, to win, if, or might have played in a, in a smarter way to win, rather than just like playing for pride. Um, if it was a best out of three. Uh, Alborg, you know, the heroic victory they had in the first game wouldn't have gone to waste if they knew that, you know, next week they have a game three where maybe the squad is even more healthy again. Uh, and there's a hope, a bit of hope for them. So, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, the calendar doesn't need more games, but <laughs> uh, maybe... I, I have... Maybe... maybe. I have a full... Uh, I can I have a full version of how the tournament should go, but I won't. I won't. Um, I won't bore you with that now. But it, it would be reducing some of the group games to increase some of the playoff games, and that's for another day. But I also think you know you have to reward the teams that do well in the group stage, and that is having the third leg at home. You know that it that makes a big difference and it will make teams fight for those higher seeds um there's no kind of picking and choosing uh you know we're keel we can play whoever we want uh you know whatever it is um it it makes a difference it adds to excitement more knockout handball you know a game like the a tie like dinamo and keel 
becomes more interesting. And that's the thing in high-scoring sports is that you can just have a fantastic game one day or and a, and a team can have a really bad day one day. It just it happens. There's momentum. There's a lot of goals. And kind of on the flip side of that, any team can, at this stage, can win against any team. At home, by one goal, any team can beat any team. But you just, you know, it gives this opportunity for every tie being important, everything coming down to the wire, gives us more games, gives us less dead rubbers, and I think that is the way forward. Um, but it, it won't be. It sounds... It, At least for the you near know, future. You know, and I'm going to bring this up maybe right away, maybe a little later. It depends when you want to address it with uh, some Potsk fans not enjoying your tweets. Um, but it might sound to the casual listener or the, that uh, you're not entirely happy with Potsk going through. Uh, I think that's not the case. They could have won both of these games if they went to extra time and penalties. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. But uh, yeah, you're thinking more in a general a broader sense yeah yeah definitely in a broader sense more in like you know one of the complaints was that this playoff tie wasn't the most exciting and you know we had some good games but realistically there was only two out of the four ties that actually provided any um excitement and then additionally i just don't like the fact that the best teams don't play right now like you the best teams are, are not playing. You know, we had this big discussion about MVP and like there's this build to it. And, you know, there's this is the period when the MVP gets decided, you know, crucial times. And then our top five MVP candidates didn't play. And it's, you know, it's just, there's something a tiny hey, bit anticlimactic. No, he wasn't in there. <laughs> the best goalkeeper was in, though. To be Stalin. Anyway, yes, this is for another day. But another uh, day. overall, day. Understand, understandable. Uh, do you want to get? Do you want to address the uh, unhappy Potsk fans now? I, you know, I, I, I'll just say that one flame is still a lot of flames. Okay, I have to give some context here. So, uh, for those of you who don't follow us on Twitter, Alex. Uh, through the guise of the at handball hour twitter account uh said the hf champions league quarterfinals are set and then you you put flames a number of flames beside each of the the quarterfinal matchups barca versus Gheorghi, two flames uh, kiel versus psg three flames vesprem versus kielce three flames magdeburg versus Płock, one flame we had uh, real Olo sixty six saying one flame next to Magdeburg versus Płock. Come on! <laughs> and then uh, uh, Conan O'Brien gif saying what the hell is that? And then Pavel Novakovsky, who is a uh, a fan of the podcast, I believe, maybe not for much longer, uh, <laughs> said why only one star for the match between Płock and Magdeburg? Probably if it was not, it would be three or four. And then uh, Andreas Kaspier came in there and said exactly because Nantes is much better on paper and so is Magdeburg. So Pavel says these are double standards. When Płock advances to the sem- when Płock advances to the semi-finals, he says, not if there will be titles of what a surprise and other nonsense. It's really bad considering the quality of this podcast. Thank you, Pavel. <laughs> all, well, all I'll say is that Plotsk, This is the first time Plotsk are in the Champions League in a 
in many years. They were, you know, they are an well, underdog. Yeah, since 2020, here. yeah. Since 2020. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they're an underdog here. Um, and they're coming up against a fantastic team. So I think out of the four ties, it is the, I suppose, I would say it's equal disparity between Barcelona, Geoge, and Magdeburg and Plotz. Yeah. Maybe Barcelona are even higher, but that game is just going to be really, really fun. It's just, you know, I'm really looking forward to Barcelona yeah. Geoge. If it was Nantes versus Magdeburg, yeah, maybe I could have given it two stars, two flames. Um, <laughs> l- let's see. Let's see how it goes. It's still going to be a fantastic game. And, you know, yeah, I don't, I, is still a fantastic you know, I can't just give three yes. flames to every game. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, they can't all be the same. I think, yeah, I would say, Pavel, you know, it's not it's not negative towards... We're not trying to be negative towards uh, Płock here. And somebody has to be the underdogs. And in this case, it is Płock. And it will be a surprise if they go through. It was a surprise they got through here. Look, they were, they were an inch away from being knocked out of the whole thing in the group phase. So we can't forget that. You know, they scraped through to this round and then they managed to beat a team that finished third in the other group, which is a, a huge surprise, I think, uh, in that sense. And Płock versus Magdeburg is like your classic European League quarterfinal as well. So we ju- it just takes a little bit of getting used to to see both of these teams now in a Champions League quarterfinal. It could bring us something that we didn't know we needed. But uh, yeah, we've seen these teams play each other in a lower level. So it's... Uh, Maybe not a, you know, it doesn't jump out at the page too much. But Pots have surprised us already, and I'm re- I'm open for them to do it again. I'm looking forward to seeing what they're capable of in a quarterfinal against Magdeburg. Yeah, I would also, yeah, I think that Magdeburg as well, participating in their first Champions League in many years, also falls into this uh, kind of slightly lower rating. But all games are going to be fantastic. This has to be the round. Chris, I'll ask you a question. Oh, well, we should probably speak about uh, Gay Gay versus Alborg, but I'll ask you a question. Which of these four games do you think has the potential of being a dead rubber after the first leg? This isn't a quiz. This is this is an there's opinion two, question. Yeah, there's two. There's two. There are, I think there are two games that have the potential for it, and I think that is the the games with. Barca Giorgi and Magdeburg Potsk. The potential. Not saying it's going to happen, but I'm a little bit burnt by the previous round here after what happened to uh, Dinamo Bucharesti and uh, and Seged because I think Barca and Magdeburg both have the potential to absolutely like, sla- like destroy the opposition even away from home and be like super clinical and really like put it to bed Um, because we haven't seen them in knockout handball yet. I think it was a great reminder of what the top teams are capable of when it comes to the knockout rounds, what Kiel and what Vesperm did in the the first leg. Having said that, I don't think that's going to happen in either case. I think Giorgi and Potsk are going to make really good games of it at home in the first leg. And uh, Potsk versus Magdeburg can be a really dogged game throughout the two legs. I think Giorgi will, yeah, will go all guns blazing at the beginning. And uh, I just find it hard to imagine that their eight players will manage to match Barca for two legs. 
Maybe for one and a half games, but not two. Yeah, let, let's just go to... Yeah, let's let's stick with Geoge then. You, you mentioned eight players, uh, but what a, what a collection of players. <laughs> what an eight players. What an eight. <laughs> Included in, that, in those eight players is the number one scorer in the Champions League, Simon Putlik, on 92 goals. On the other side of the court is the second top scorer in the Champions League this season, Emil Madsen. With 92 goals. On the line, <laughs> they have this young uh, young Dane called Lucas Jurgensen, who is the eighth top scorer in the Champions League <laughs> this season. And not to mention uh, a goalkeeper in goals who has the highest save percentage in the competition. And the f- in their centre-back is the fifth uh, top assister. And Simon Pulik is the third top assister in the competition what else can we get i'm sure there's like a steals leader somewhere there <laughs> somewhere um what else have we got there uh top scorers on field maybe someone there uh yeri tolbring 16th for the top goal scorers in open play morton olsen is number 12 in that list and uh, emil madsen is number nine in that list and Lucas Jurgensen number four on that list. Yeah, they don't. You just don't need many players. It seems they're they're bringing out the 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 Vardar approach from a couple of years ago. And whereas Vardar were a bunch of older men who just managed to somehow uh, keep going, Georgi have a couple of old men and then a bunch of lads who just don't stop running. And that was. That was a really enjoyable game, that second leg between Gugi and Alborg. And I think the final score, which is 32-24 in Gugi's favor, kind of suggests that it was one-sided if you didn't watch it. I felt like it was there was always a hint of danger there for Gugi, but they managed to, in what should have been like their trickiest moment, when Morten Olsen got a ludicrous direct red card, that they just like stepped up two gears all of a sudden and ran away with the game. Yeah, exactly. It, it was a four-goal difference. And as low as two goals um, was the difference in the game. So on the 38th minute, the difference was two goals. And it looked like you know the tie was level there. Alberg were coming into the game. You know, Geoge quite confidently sprinted into the lead. Uh, I think... Mm. Um, it, it kind of similar to what you talked about after the first leg, this time Geoge were a lot more composed and they were able, they didn't need to go to sixth gear. They didn't need to go to eighth no. gear because they already play in fifth gear all the time. <laughs> so they just started in, in a normal top gear with a focus and kind of sprinted out into a 9-3 lead. Um, you know, all the usuals getting goals here. Putlik, Masson, Jorgensen, um, Talbring. And, and it, it looked good, uh, really good. But again, this Allboard team, which has a lot of grit to it, and in particular getting Felix Clare back, was really important. He yeah. really drove them in that first half. It, it was pretty much the Felix Clare show. Uh, Monk. Uh, Marius Monk got himself a goal in that first half. He got some minutes. Uh, Victor Kluva was the, let's say, the starting left back there. But they were playing well. Red card 
and Gayo Gay benefit from that? Well, like, I'm not even sure yeah. how that happens. Is it just the anger at such a kind of ludicrous decision, as you called it? Yeah, I think so. And there, there was it was at a point in the game where like everyone on both sides were getting really uh, pissy with the referees. They weren't happy with uh, anything. And you know the HF did everything right here. The delegate was from Sweden. The referees were from Norway. It's the perfect combination for a Denmark versus Denmark game. Um, and yeah, they just weren't yeah they weren't vibing with the referees. Anyone involved and uh, something about it. I I think we have to credit. You know, they've just lost their uh, kind of their experienced head in the attack, right? And uh, they still somehow managed to, like, get themselves together. Like, in comes Nikolai Pedersen, who is more of a defender. I mean, he's 29. He looks he looks like he's 22, but he's 29. So he's relatively experienced. Uh, but he comes in and, uh, yeah, Simon Pitlick and Madsen just keep doing the job, Uh it's incredible. Eight goals for Pidlick, seven for Madsen, seven for Jorgensen. That's 22 goals between the three of them out of 32. And uh, yeah, full credit to Nikolai Krikko, who whatever he did, whatever he said to them after that red card, it worked the treat because they they played beyond their years again, which is really impressive. I also think um, actually in this case, it was Alborg who kind of hit a wall. Uh, Their attack just stopped working. There was no movement. It was just kind of one-on-one from standing for that period. Basically, they made their run, red card happened, and Alborg fell apart just as much as Geoge came into the game. So it was a movement in both directions. And it, it was it's horrific handball from Alborg in the middle of that second half. Uh, Felix Clare just wasn't the same as the first half. And they just didn't have the firepower. You, you know, they're relying on Victor Kluve and um, Hoxer. You know, Hoxer, now he's a bit of a household name. But this is still a 22-year-old who probably shouldn't have been playing too much this season. Sandel... Sandel's injury has had really vaulted him into the squad as a mainstay. So you have, you know, and, and you know, Henrik Mulgaard can only do so much, especially playing uh, a couple of games close together. Third game in one week. You yeah. know? <laughs> like it was a great story, the first leg for Alborg, but realistically, like it was never good. They were never going to be able to repeat that uh, away from home. The atmosphere as well in Odense was amazing and great to see like the great to see the demographics of the crowd as well such youth such vibrancy it's really nice and i can't wait to see that against barca in the quarterfinal that's why they're not going to get steamrolled in the first leg because it's going to be just full of testosterone full of hormones that that whole (laughs) whole arena is just (laughs) full of Drunk teenagers and pure love to see it. Incredible, incredible. <laughs> what more? Nice that they're channeling all of that into a safe space of a you know a midweek handball match. It just also, I think I'm not sure if we really talked about this, but I think we kind of missed out on the Simon Putlik and Lucas Jurgensen transfer to Flensburg on the podcast. Have we? Mm. Did we mention it? You know? We 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 did briefly go over it. Yeah, yeah, but uh, we had not into detail. Yes. 
They're both off to both off to Flensburg. Both off to <laughs> no Fl- surprises. It's kind of a surprise that it's not a surprise. Like it's the obvious thing, but you know. Well, I suppose the, Flensburg. I suppose the surprise is the the fee and the fact that Flensburg mm. were so desperate that they bought Putlik a year before his contract ran out. So for yeah. next season, as opposed to the season after, you know. We, we talked about Putlik potentially staying maybe one year with Geoge and advancing there. Nope. Uh, he's going to Flensburg. The fee was assumed in the region of 500,000 euro, which is right up there mm. with the biggest transfers um, of all time in handball. Included in that, of course, is Lucas Jurgensen, who was pretty much confirmed to go to Flensburg anyway, with Aaron Mensing going the other way. So that's really good to see. From my perspective, Aaron Mensing, who has really, really built into the season, he's had some terrible luck with injuries, but he's been part of this huge Flensburg resurgence that we've been seeing over the last couple of weeks and months. Aaron Mensing has really led that. Um, he's gone back to Denmark. He'll be with Geoge, which gives me a bit of relief because Geoge are still going to be a top team next year. Yeah, Even with... You know, those three players that we mentioned, those three players who are dominating the Champions League for Gilge, all of them are leaving. Um, but they should still have a good squad and stay at the highest level. And, you know, that that fee is going to really help the club evolve. It'll be interesting to see how that gets handled, whether it's, you know, it is a boarding school at the end of the day and a professional club. Uh, on the side so we'll see where that investment goes you know there's no real need to invest in facilities or youth handball they've got plenty of that going through so maybe that will yeah. get invested into the the top level um, and the squad can get stronger and stronger because it's just been a great story having two top danish teams i think is also great for danish handball you know the club handball season in Denmark has had a lot of attention because everyone knows that these mm. there's these two teams just fighting it out for the Champions League spot. We know now that Gehuge are good enough to be in the quarterfinal. So that's good for me. And for Flensburg, watch out. Watch out for Flensburg yeah. next season. I mean, yeah, not to diverge too much, but like Simon Pitlick, Kai Smits, Blaj Blagotinchek and Lucas Jorgensen uh, joining the team next season. You know, Jim uh, Gottfriedson with Simon Pitlick to one side of him, Kai Smith to the other. He's gonna feel like he's gonna feel like Miguel Hansen at the World Championship. He's like, all right, I'll just keep passing the ball. <laughs> That's why, you know, his body will feel so much better. He doesn't have to sacrifice himself in every game anymore. Uh, yeah, just pressure on Flensburg now to pull off some miracle and qualify for the Champions League next season, uh, because that squad deserves champions league handball it does uh, it absolutely that deser- that squad needs champions league handball it would be such a bummer <laughs> if simon pitlick and kai smiths and lucas jorgensen are pl- not playing the champions league next season anyway you have to earn it though you have to uh, earn it or you podcast. get a or you get a wild card or you get a wild card maybe that's why the hf are doing this now uh shall we shall we go into <laughs> into that quickly or do you want to do you want to give some uh what are your thoughts in the quarterfinals then quickly 
Um, your yeah. your early predictions. I'm sure we'll go into them again. It's like a month until the game, so uh, we'll have plenty of time to go back into them. But first thoughts, who's going through? First thoughts is that I like the look of Eshbrem. Yeah. And it's for two reasons. One is Remedy completing that squad. We talked about that. The second reason is Rasmus Lauger-Schmidt having one of his best handball years of all time. Um, he He's averaging basically six or seven goals in the last five games in the Champions League. He is the, uh, let me just, he's the seventh top scorer. And, you know, going back to our MVP rankings, I think Lauger Schmidt mm-hmm. is very solidly in the top five um, right now. And, yeah, I just, I like Veshram. So I think Veshram versus Kielsa is going to be a fantastic tie because Veshram are a little bit on the up, while Kielsa have that uncertainty still looming over them. That hasn't affected their, their play but, you know, it is still going to be there. It's going to be bringing it down a little bit, which makes that tie extremely equal for me. Earlier in the season, I would have had Kielsa just going through. Right now, that's the tie of the round for me. Um, okay. Otherwise, great fun between Gege and Barca. The greatest match of all time between Wiesla Plotsk and Magdeburg. <laughs> a game that I'm looking forward to so much. <laughs> um, yeah, it's going to be fun. Let's see how uh, those games evolve. Let's see what, you know, what toll the Bundesliga takes on Magdeburg and Kiel. You know, they're both in an incredible title race slash Champions League race in the Bundesliga. Uh, so let's see what effect that has on them going into these games against you know teams that might be... Well, uh, PSG are also in a title race, so every, everything is open. Um, I'm excited. You mentioned the wildcard there. The EHF executive have uh, announced that there will be some changes from next season, and uh, there will be... The potential doesn't have to be done, but a wild card can be proposed uh, for teams to qualify for the Champions Leagues. Um, and in the women's competition, there'll be uh, the potential to have two extra uh, teams qualify, which uh, I think is directly related to uh, Russia not having uh, the likes of Rostov Don and CSKA um, involved, as Russian teams are all banned from European competition. So, yeah, we could have a third Danish team or German team or French team or Romanian team, perhaps. The Romanian teams, a lot of them coming in uh, from next season as they try to, like, bolster the um, the overall competition. And on the men's side, yeah, interesting. Like the So it changes from, like, an upgrade, which is based on, uh, you know, certain criteria. This potentially takes or gets rid of all those criteria. And I'm thinking, you know, probably Kolsta is that was, that was is in one. mind for that, right? Yeah, that's the one. Because, I was like, if as well. you're probably looking at the, if you're thinking of the criteria, they don't really have any criteria. Like that, they don't have any of the. They wouldn't get many points for like European record or anything like that, right? But yeah, it could be the uh, direct route for Kolsta to get into the Champions League next season. Um, 
yeah, interesting to see. Yeah, I, I wonder uh, if it was designed, you know, this, this wild card probably took a bit of time to come through. And, you know, Kalsad are going to likely win the Norwegian League. They've yeah. they finished top of the regular season. Um, then, of course, we go into the playoffs. Uh, so let's see what happens. But they're looking very, very good. Um, they are. And you're probably confident that they'll win it and therefore um, have a direct qualification. But maybe that wildcard rule was designed before the season went so well for Kolstad. And they're <laughs> yeah, like, just in case. Just in case. <laughs> just in case. Let's get Sagasin. Let's give Sagasin a wildcard. Yeah. Let's give Sagasin a wildcard. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, one for Sagasin and one for Simon Pitlick, perhaps. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> Let's see. Let's uh, And the last um, point to mention is the ridiculous game that happened in North Macedonia last week. Oh, yeah. Between Vardar and Eurofarm Pelister in um, Vardar's home arena, the Jane Sandeski, which we do miss. We do miss that arena. Uh, what we don't miss is crazy ultras that want to fight each other want to fight the police want to fight the players and in particular so what what happened was that this was a crucial game for the north macedonian league the top two teams vardar of course were playing Eurofarm palester in the jane sandeski and the game had to be stopped in the first half because many of the Eurofarm palester fans basically rushed the pitch they rushed the um the arena they started fighting with fans that started th- throwing smoke bombs pretty insane scenes um if you haven't seen it go into rasmus boyson's uh twitter he has a nice uh roundup uh, or philip mischoff or philip mischoff well. who um mm. was is the macedonian um reporter who was on the ground uh, sending through a lot of that footage but uh pretty crazy scenes and ultimately you know that there's fights on the court uh, the game got stopped but then it did move on my favorite scene though was our favorite player stoiloff the bear of north macedonia fighting with some of these fans and throwing them off the pitch basically these are big topless dudes who have who are throwing bottles and uh stoilov goes over and just wrestles one of them to the ground actually punches one which is uh, uh probably a little bit too intense um but you know that's the north macedonian way crazy crazy scenes oh uh, yeah that's yeah it is wild like watching this video and yeah, still have taken some punk to the ground. And yeah, he gets a proper swing in as well. Like he's trying to reason with, he's like, come on guys, get off. And then he just sees like, fuck this shit. I'm going to have to take, literally take this into my own hands. And uh, yeah, not messing about. Stoyanchez Stoilov has no time for ultras when they behave yeah. uh, like that. And I will also mention that uh, I think... While I was describing it, I, I did say that it was the Eurofarm Pelister fans that started it. Just to be clear, what kicked off this whole thing was actually a coin thrown from the Vardar fans at the Pelister goalkeeper. That was the mm. instigation. Then all all hell broke loose, and I think both sides are to blame. So I I, I don't I don't want to misrepresent um, the 
actual happenings of, of that um, occasion. I, you know, blame lies on both sides. Um, yeah, Vardar fans and Pelister fans. The Vardar players, as I said, tried to calm everyone down. The Pelister players had to run inside their locker room and break through a door uh, on the yeah. ending of the game. So, yeah, ultimately, it's just such very, a pity. I mean, very horrific yeah, scenes. It's a pity, isn't it? Like, because uh, probably the result of this, according to Philip Mishoff, is that the um, you know probably the next games they're going to play will be behind closed doors. There'll be no fans allowed. And both sides will get fined. And um, when you look at what's happening in in North Macedonia, like with the the amount of fans that come out to a game like this, um, and then five hundred people go and watch the football team play an international, uh, you know, it shows how much how powerful handball is in this sport. And and you don't want scenes like that to be driving fans away because uh, you could also imagine that things like this would stop younger fans from being able to go uh, just because. You know, well, you don't want Sancho Stoilov for someone else beating the shit out of you. Uh, if you go, well, you shouldn't go into court in the first place. Let that be the lesson. Uh, yeah. And just to fill in this story, uh, Vardar ended up winning that game against Eurofarm Pelester 31 24. And it looked like, it looked like mm. they were going to basically stroll to the end of the league, win the league. And yeah, maybe hopefully we'd see them in the Champions League next year. But the, Next week, Vardar lost to Alkaloid. Do you know yeah. what club Alkaloid is, Chris O'Reilly? I do. I uh, do, because we talked about this in January before the World Championship, because uh, so many of the Macedonian team uh, were Alkaloid players, much to everyone's surprise, because uh, the Macedonian coach, Kirill Lazarov, also owns Alkaloid. <laughs> so it's Kirill Lazarov's team. Yeah, so a bunch of... Basically, this is Kirill Lazarov's huge project. Uh, Alkaloid, who's got <laughs> some investment. They've got um, Lazarov as a coach. They're starting from the youth. It's a very young team. And they beat uh, Vardar 22-21, which actually throws the league wide open. Again, so mm. let's see who comes out of Macedonia. Again, you know, you do miss the Macedonian teams. You miss the Macedonian fans. And hopefully we see them at the highest level again. All right, well, there you go. I didn't expect we'd be uh, delving into the uh, Macedonian Super League. But hey, it's one of the tightest ones at the top. So there you go. Uh, all right, we leave it there. Alex, thank you very much. Uh, thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next week with... Uh, another Patreon special podcast. Until then, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>